Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Frenchie Cannoli. He's a hashishin. We're going to talk to him about hashish and the historical role of hashish in cannabis. Uh, We're going to talk about the international scene. We're going to talk about the U.S. scene and the U.S. market and really kind of understand what, what is hashish, how does it fit into the cannabis world, and where are the opportunities? I think this is you know something we've only scratched the surface on in a couple of episodes, and I'm excited to kind of really dig into this, understand the rich history, the really kind of opportunity, really understand you know what are the, the nuances and the, the interesting parts of this part of the cannabis market. So with that, Frenchie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure it's a to treat. have you. Yeah. <laughs> So why don't we start with a little bit of kind of backstory and, you know, how your history as a hashishin, uh, you know, your involvement in, you know, using the plant, working with the plant. And within there, we probably need to do a little bit of, you know, explaining to people exactly what hashish is. I think, you know, a lot of people know the term and, you know, have some level of understanding, but, you know, it's 
I think it would be helpful for everyone if we really kind of dug into it so we can really understand what are we talking about when we talk about hash. With that, why don't you give us a little bit of the backstory and, and give us uh, some context for the conversation? So as an European, hash is, uh, is very much part of my culture. I was very much into adventure books and uh, crazy adventurers when I, when I was a kid. One of my heroes when I was 11 years, I think, 12 years old, was a French gentleman from a, a pretty uh, middle-class family painter who decided to leave France in the early 1900. He went to the Red Sea, built a boat with a, with a local and lived 25 years there. A smuggling arm, uh, ashish from, uh, from Greece to, uh, to Egypt, diving for pearls and stuff like that. Wow. So... All my life, I've been into the Thousand and One Nights, uh, the Persia, and like all those cultures that are that have a, a strong ash tradition. So that the first time I smoked when I was 17 years old, it was really very much a, a revelation at uh, at many levels. I could, for the first time, smell and taste the flavor and aroma of this country, and it brought back to me the the need for traveling that I had when I was a kid. And that's what I did for uh, 18 years solid. As soon as I was 18, I left the house and I came, I didn't go back to France for 18 years. Wow. Exciting, and, exciting background. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, in a way, I took my retirement plan, plan early. At 18, <laughs> the only things I really, truly wanted to do was to travel. And yeah. I was really scared to death by a nine to five life for 40 years. Yeah. And I wasn't sure I would be able to travel when I was 60s. Look what happened today, uh, yeah. to top it up. So for me, that always been, it's like, I just want it now. I don't know if tomorrow I'm still alive. Whatever I need to be really happy, I, uh, I'll take it now and tomorrow I'll see. And that was my life, more or less, for a long time. And it all, the world travel was very much based on Ashish producing country. Okay. Give us a little bit of kind of geography lesson here in terms of the big Hashish, you know, cultures and, and geographies. You know, where, where did you end up going? Where did Hashish take you? Uh, it took me traveling uh, all over the any producing country, not specifically ashish producing country, but oh. anybody any country producing flowers that could make ash. So the oh. first time when I make to, went to Mexico, your knowledge is um, is your passport, and uh, to enter very secluded the group of people yeah. because there is so much uh, prohibition around it. Yeah. And all my life, it's been very much like that. When, when you go to a, to a producing country, I would, I would go there because I always wanted the best quality. And the best quality, even in the deepest region of a producing country, is that level of quality is not for sale. It's yeah. a stash of the local. So to be able to get the quality I wanted, I needed to do it myself. Yeah. So I could explain what is Ashish from here, actually. Yeah, let's do that because I think, like I said, I think people have a general idea. But like, what? Mm. Yeah, what? When we talk about hashish, what are we referring to? What is it made of? Like, what is the process? Give us a little lesson here. So hashish is made using dried and cured uh, 
cannabis plant. On the flower of the cannabis plant, the plant produces a defensive system, a, a protuberance with a glandular form that contain organic compound. The, the plant kingdom can produce 200,000 compounds and manipulate it the way they want, from the most deadly to the most beneficial compound. The cannabis plant is very special because in those glandular trichon, the plant biosynthesizes the two most common terpenes in a plant kingdom, the two most compounds, sorry, in a plant kingdom, terpen and phenol, which is even yeah. more amazing that those two compounds are actually toxic. You could, yeah. you cannot overdose from, um, from phenol, but you can really get sick and you can kill yourself with terpen. It's a pretty powerful compound. The plant can, can biosynthesize those two toxic compounds and create 150 plus organic medicinal compounds. So, a ash maker literally simply shakes the plant material to detach the gland from its stock and it separates it through a sieve that is made of perforation so that you can separate the gland from the contaminant. Once you collect all those glands, you press them with a source of heat and you create a mass of resin that holds in its body the matrix that created the transformation. It's very much like wine. If, yeah. you, if you compare to the alcohol industry, to make wine, you need to crush the fruit to create the fermentation for a transformation into wine. Mm -hmm. If you take only the juice from, uh, from the fruit, you can make many alcohol, up to a 99% alcohol, but you cannot make wine. That's the difference between hashish and extract. Hashish holds in its body the matrix that made the magic. And there is a chemical reaction happening into it so that the end product is very different from what I, uh, I took from the, from the plant. If you take only the resin out of, out of the, the gland, you uh -huh. can create many, many different concentrates up to pure isolate, but uh -huh. you cannot create wine. That's a very, the, the biggest difference between hashish and any other type of, uh, of concentrate. So there's actually a chemical transformation that happens post when you harvest the plant and you kind of process to the final product in the, the hashish process. There is a transformation all the way. It it's pretty amazing because heat, light, create transformation of terpen into other monoterpen oh, and, uh, and of the cannabinoid also. goes from THCA, CBDA, CBN, CBCA, uh, no. which is totally non-psychoactive, The plant no. do not give psychoactivity. The plant give medicine. Yeah. Then by manipulating the cannabinoid, you activate them and transform them at, at various uh, degrees. This is like sort of when we decarb flour, decarboxylate flour, the similar kind of transformation? Exactly. You, when yeah. you decarboxylate flour, you, uh, you decarboxylate the cannabinoid compound in a trichon gland. Yeah, interesting. And I'm curious, like how... 
how much of an art is there in this process in terms of, you know, being able to kind of play with the factors to create different outcomes and different profiles? I mean, I, how diverse and how, how sophisticated is that process and how diverse are the end products that you can come up with? 20 years solid, I made ash in producing country. And I could, uh, using various tools in various countries, even sticking live resin on the palm of, of my hand in a, in a mountain of the Himalaya. And I was good at what I was doing, but until I came to America, I was good with it. I knew the tool. I was totally ignorant about the product I was working with. Yeah. And as a, as a craftsman, there is two things in my life, the product, the tool. And the tools are mostly defined by the, by the product. So when I came to the States, knowing that the plant was medicinal changed everything. I really totally went into full dedication, kind of. It wasn't just something important in my life for my well-being. It became much bigger than me. And so I went and studied what is a trichome, why the, the, can, the, the cannabis plant trichome are very different, and what are cannabinoids, how the cannabinoids form itself. And until, until now, I just made ash. Now I can do different ash. I can do only THCA, that is pure medicine. I can do only CBD. And I have it full spectrum because I can transform my THCA into THC into CBN. It's like I can do a lot now because I have that knowledge and the only things I need to manipulate, it's time and heat. So mm -hmm. it's pretty simple when you know the mechanic and it brought my, uh, my ability to create different psychoactive and, uh, and therapeutic ashes that is I, I would have never thought it. Uh, I'm still having a hard time understanding the full potential that I have in my little, little niche of making wine. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, we talk about, you know, time and heat are the two variables. Like, what are the variables within those variables? I mean, obviously temperature, but obviously, you know, is there, are, are you... Like, I, you know, on the cultivation side, we have all these kind of, uh, you know, systems and, you know, they, they change the lights and various cycles and the nutrients and the humidities and all this. I mean, there's, it becomes very complicated or very sophisticated, the cycles they put them through. Is there a similar thing in making hashish in terms of how long you expose it to what temperatures or is it, or is it more simple than that? It is simple, but not, uh, not easy. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? I it. It's like yeah. the basic is simple. You shake the plant to collect the gland as clean as possible. Then what I collect, the cannabinoid inside, are non-psychoactive. I want yeah. the psychoactivity will come when you smoke it, basically. The heat uh -huh. of whatever device you use to, uh, to smoke it will decarb and you will have a certain amount, of, a certain percentage of psychoactive cannabinoid entering your blood system. Yeah. Depending on the tool you use, it's a 15 to 25%. Okay. I decarb my ash when I press it. I use it. I use 180 Fahrenheit to 200 Fahrenheit it. I press my ash for 20 minutes or so. And uh -huh. I bring on the table another 
30-40% decarboxylation. That means that I more than double the potency yeah. of my ash because I activate it. Yeah, got it. Curious in kind of production process and batch sizes and things like that. I mean, I can see like on the one hand, this being fairly artisan and, you know, I'm, I'm making, you know, small batches, very custom versus if I'm really producing at more of an industrial scale, what, what happens or what, what changes in the process, you know, as you try to scale this or you really try to look at higher volumes of production? So you have to understand that the, my 18, 20 years in producing country, everything is craft. Yeah. Everything is handmade, it's traditional, it's been done for hundred of, uh, an hundred of generations. So, to create quality, when you stick the resin directly on your hand, you have to clean your hand and, and be careful of what you collect. So, cleanliness is very much uh, a huge factor of quality. When you dry sieve, it's even more so. Because if you want the really, really good quality, you need to, to process a lot of, uh, of bundle of, uh, of flour. Mm -hmm. And every time you shake, when you do dry sieving, because you work with the brittle material, every time you shake harder than the time before, you create more contaminant, which creates the grade of ash. Okay? It's very it. basic, but you have to understand that a country like Morocco, who didn't make ash until the late 60s, is producing 35% of the world production in a, in a little circle of territory that is very small. Hmm. Maybe equal to what we have here in the Emerald Triangle. Yeah, yeah. So when I was there, it would take me months, three to four months, to be able to create my stash for the year. And I would have never thought that I could, I would sell my stash ever. I would smoke it with people, but I would uh -huh. never sell it because it's so precious. It takes so much to create it. Now here, I created tools that give me the ability to produce in a day what would take me months and the quality is higher. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, and tell us a little bit about the market. I mean, uh, you know, give us your take on kind of the U.S. market, the cannabis market, and how hash plays into that. And then, you know, what, you know, globally, you know, what is the market? How are things similar or different? Give us a little context. So here in America, you don't really have a hash culture. Yeah. You were smoking hash in the 70s. Then the Fed really went hard on everything that was imported into the States and you grew flour for a long time until maybe like 12, 15 years ago when you started to make, you started to go into concentrate mm -hmm. and the BHO brought the concentrate on the market. Every concentrate follow more or less the latest and greatest of the, uh, of the BHO industry. And ash culture, the, the non-solvent, the solventless, the ice wax, like you, like you call it here, mm -hmm. is not ash. It's loose trichon gland that look very much like uh, an extraction that, mm -hmm. have, that are not far away on the amount of cannabinoid that add at the time uh, more terpene that are smoked with the same tools. And that how the sieved 
gland take came back into the into the market. But you don't have that ash culture pressing the resin, aging it, and uh, the culture of the producing country. Now, yeah. if you look at the producing country and the rest of the planet, especially the European market that is the biggest on the planet, we smoke ash. We are interested by those new concentrate because it's fun, but ash is really part of a culture for millennium. As a Frenchman, the greatest writer in French literature were part of the club of the Hashishin. Yeah. It's like it, it goes really far away and I, I'm more than French, I'm Mediterranean. So uh, the plant, the cannabis plant was on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea six million years ago, yeah. sorry, four million years before Homo erectus stepping yeah. on the Levantine corridor. <laughs> and that place The Levantine Corridor the region is called the Fertile Crescent, the uh -huh. richest land on Earth. No, our relation with the plant most definitely goes back to two million years ago. And if you want to collect the seed from a cannabis plant, you have straight up sticky fingers. Yeah. And that's the first concentrate ever made, live resin. And now the technique is still used in India. You, instead of having just sticky finger, the next stretch of the evolution of collecting cannabis resin was sticking it on your hand while you rub gently the, the flower. Huh. So these are techniques that different cultures have developed to essentially create hashish. It's a technique that is still used at the feet of the Himalaya, but mostly because you cannot dry there anymore. Got it. The next it. evolution came with dry sieving when... Uh, certainly before agriculture, but when we had genus after genus lived into very specific locations on the Eurasian continent and favoring certain plants in those places that gave birth to agriculture. But they were making bread five, uh, seven thousand years before the birth of agriculture because mm -hmm. certain spots had so much of that specific uh, plant that you uh, you had the base of a, of a semi-sedentary, uh, the, the birth of agriculture was really there. It just didn't happen like that. It was progressive. And cannabis was one of the founder crop. Yeah. Where do you see the U.S. kind of hashish market going? I mean, I, I guess, how, how big is it right now? What, do you think this is you know, going to be kind of a niche product? Is it going to, like, do you see new opportunities? I mean, give us, give us kind of your take on the U.S. side of this. The U.S. side of it, here in California, you are the Bordeaux of the cannabis industry that is not yet born. Like in 1800, when the, uh, Bordeaux was not yet born. Bordeaux was born from a world recognition for quality. Uh-huh. Okay, there is only one place in the world, no, actually two, a little valley in a, a remote valley of the, of the Himalaya, but the Emerald Triangle is recognized worldwide for its quality. Yeah. That's the yeah. beginning of everything. It's the beginning of the appellation. It's like, because the quality is recognized worldwide, you want to know what the origin of that quality, the land, the climate, the genetic and the know-all that come behind to create that. 
you have you have the ability to be the France of uh, of the cannabis industry because I have traveled the world. I have spent 20 years of my life in producing country. I have never seen the diversity and the quality I have seen here in the Emerald Triangle. Yeah. That value, that heritage, could be the foundation of the can of the world cannabis economy. Like France created every standard, every specification in the wine industry, and almost 200 years later, we may not make the best wine anymore. We definitely produce not that much, but we will always be relevant because we created the game. And after 200 years, the quality of, of wine has not changed, but just improved because mm -hmm. that's the name of the game to have the best of the best at the world level. That's our only chance. The cannabis, the, I mean, the US cannabis industry cannot compete on quantity with producing country that have been doing that for millennium illegally. Mm -hmm. So it's like you need infrastructure. It's producing quantity in America will be costly. Your land is poisoned. You need to clean it before. There is, and there is a, the genetics that is adapted to the producing country, like Lebanon like Afghanistan, like India, like Morocco, South Africa. This is the competition. Colombia, Mexico, you cannot compete with this. The, your only way to compete is to protect the heritage of the hippiculture that can define what quality will be when you look at cannabis what vocabulary you will use to define the terpene profile of a plant, what scoring system you will use so that uh, somebody in Tokyo and somebody in Colombia can understand exactly what they were, they're talking about. Like if you were buying chocolate, cocoa, or coffee, or tea, we need, we have nothing of this. So no. how can you be relevant in a world market When you have the ability to create that structure, you have the heritage, but you don't have the vision. And there is a timing. Only the vision only is missing. And that vision is missing because America is just too much of an island to a level. Yeah. You, uh, before deciding where you want to stand in the future of the, of the cannabis industry worldwide, because the world trade is coming, sooner than we think and yeah. everything that has been done right now is not going to be relevant we need to be able to be competitive at the highest level yeah. quantity is not really the solution there is too much competition if you dedicate yourself to quality like the french did at every with every aspect of food and uh, and beverage You will, you will stand in a position that is unique and with no competition whatsoever. And you have the tool to, uh, to show the world that you have the best and get the respect. May it be with flower, but especially with ash. 
If I bring the ash that I make here to my friend in bulk in northern Afghanistan, or when I smoke with my friend in uh, in Morocco or in Lebanon, I have I have things that they have never experienced ever. So we we have the ability to to be relevant for century with the heritage there is in America. And what's in the way of that right now? Is this is this federal legalization? Is it culture? Is it how the you know how the industry is set up? Like what what is hindering that? And what would help accelerate you know the U.S. becoming being able to become a a real kind of defining player in the global market? You have to take the legacy market and bring it into the legal market. We have the knowledge. We have the heritage. We have the culture, we have the story behind for the branding, we have everything. The other side have only the money, but there is no respect between the money and the knowledge. While the knowledge is much, much, much more important than the money, there is a lot of money around. But that knowledge, that genetic, that heritage, if you don't take care of it, those people, they are not going to die. It's not, you're not going to kill the goose that makes the golden egg. That goose is going to go to the neighbor <laughs> and make the eggs with the neighbor. That's Start a laying problem. eggs for your neighbor, yeah. 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 So it's like, we don't have respect. We're just hippie. We're just stoners. Uh-uh. It's like, we are maybe stoners, but that's a drug dealing de- business. Yeah. You're dealing drugs. Okay, we know the business better than you. We know the world trade. Trust us. Yeah. You want to make it happen? Let's work together. Yeah. Don't think that you can do it by yourself. Look at Canada. They had 100 million square feet of greenhouse. But if you don't grow the fire, if people don't want your stuff because yeah. it's so good, it's going to stay on the shelf. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What and what do people? I mean, I, I guess for those people who are cannabis users but have never tried hashish, what, like, is this something that you know everyone should at least try once? Is this something really for a particular type of consumer? What's your kind of recommendation to help people kind of discover or get involved in hashish? It's. I mean, it's like wine. If you have never tried a great wine, you should. Yeah. You will maybe not become a hash smoker, but. Um, you will have a lot of respect for the whole experience. Because it's like you cannot see quality without the, the experience that you have. And that whole experience, it's an experience of pleasure. You smell first, and then there is that whole having those flavor in your mouth, how long it stays in your mouth, how intense is it, how, uh, how unique it is. There is that whole experiencing what you just consume that, are very, that is very much part of the experience like wine. Wine wouldn't be what it is if it didn't give pleasure. It's the same. And hashish is not... It's strong because it's a concentrate, but the best way for me to, decri- to describe it, it's like putting a nice warm blanket around you and that comfort zone, warm feeling, bubble around you. I'm in front of a fireplace over a, a bare rug type of, like really uh, comforting and uh, a well-being that come not 
only in your head, but it's very body feel at the same times without slowing you down. Yeah. 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 It sounds fabulous. I actually have not tried hashish, so it's been on my list and I, this is going to inspire me, I think, to. Where, where do people find? I mean, is hashish on the market in legal states at this point? What, where do you find product in the in the U.S.? In uh, in the U.S., you find more and more pressed triconglone, but you find mostly loose mm. triconglone that people keep in the fridge. Uh, pressed temple bowl and uh, pressed traditional hash, it's it's uh, it's rarer. It's becoming yeah. slowly, slowly popular here in the States, but it's, it's a very small part of the market. Yeah. Yeah. And people ask me why I don't do like everybody else in the market because that's the future. And I have to disagree with them. And in the first place, because I'm a winemaker, I just don't collect grape. I crush <laughs> those grape. I, come on, this, uh, I uh, process them in a way that aging will give will transform the product. I, uh, I create hashish. I create, I create a product that is different than what the plant is giving me. That where really a part of me is inside my product, it's when I do that transformation. Yeah. yeah. Frenchy, this has been a fabulous conversation. If people want to find more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? So if you want information, the best is my website, all my uh, writing, articles, uh, books, references uh, is on our website. It's uh, franchicanoli.com. Otherwise, on my IG, at franchicanoli, you can see a lot, a lot of ash porn, a lot of what, who I am and how I work solely with uh, regenerative farming. I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to um, to protect traditional tradition, but to the to the farmer side as well. It's very important for me to uh, to protect the land and the farmer. And uh, otherwise, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. Excellent. I'll I'll make sure that all those links and the URLs and everything are in the show notes, so people can get that information. Frenchy, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Merci beaucoup. Avec plaisir. Merci. Thanks for having me. And bonne chance to all. Perfect. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.